So it's the third Sunday of Lent in our Revitalized series, and we're thinking about this uh, kind of difficult uh, 12 months we've had with uh, this pandemic, global pandemic, uh, uh, a real kind of helplessness, helplessness of knowing how to respond, uh, even families being divided on how to approach everything. It's been a profoundly difficult time. Many uh, have suffered financial downturns. Many have experienced uh, severe mental health dips. And uh, I'm just in dialogue with a lot of people every week, and there's a lot of suffering. But there also, kind of the current zeitgeist seems to be a hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel here. With different vaccines emerging or different strategies emerging, I think uh, some people are daring to hope that uh, we'll be able to kind of re-engage with one another. In fact, one thing we're looking forward to is the warming of the weather. We're going to resume our outdoor services. We're at the very least going to resume at Easter, even if we have a bunch of kind of uh, 33-gallon barrels or whatever uh, with little fires going on. We're going to do, because as we know, outdoors is a pretty safe context to connect uh, during the age of COVID. But we may, who knows, if the weather changes, uh, we may be able to do it earlier. Uh, we don't know. But this Revitalized series, I'm kind of thinking uh, a couple pictures. If any of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia or seen one of the movie adaptions of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this idea that the land of Narnia is ruled by an evil white witch who keeps everything freezing winter, always winter, but never Christmas. And at, with the arrival of Aslan, who kind of is a Christ figure in the stories, uh, Christmas enters again, and it means that winter will not be forever. And there's this idea of the first green shoots of grass poking through the, uh, the uh, melting snow, or as Adrian would probably mention, crocus beginning to appear as kind of the, some of the early blooms of this winter time. The, the green shoots are going through the melting snow. That is such a beautiful picture of revitalization. And I really believe that somehow this pressure on all of our lives, for many of us, may have compressed the coal of our lives into something diamond-worthy. And uh, as I've been thinking about this, even through some personal, uh, real personal hard times lately, there's four themes that really came up in revitalization. And it begins with story saturation, just a a recommitment to read the entirety of scripture, Jesus outward, through the eyes of Jesus, through the story of Jesus. We've got four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, one of my favorite ways to read it is listening to the audio Bible, using the Bible app. There's a ton of different versions. Find one that isn't familiar to you so you can hear it anew. And the other thing that's helped a lot of people, and myself included, is watching that show the message, the message, excuse me, uh, the Chosen, Getting the Chosen app. It's so well-acted and well-researched that it kind of gives you a picture of uh, first-century uh, Israel and, and uh, gives you the tools to really imagine the kindness of Jesus interacting in a hostile world. I know a lot of people kind of are against any kind of religious iconography or art, but you know, put your cynicism aside and check out The Chosen show. It will be encouraging to you. 
read the Gospels. But this idea that we are so saturated in the story of Jesus that when you fill yourself with Jesus, it gets rid of all bad scriptural interpretation that seems to justify violence or not loving our enemies or holding grudges. You can make the Bible say anything if you just get uh, take verses out of context. But the cure for any bad theology is Jesus marination. So going back to the gospel. Second uh, theme that we talked about uh, yesterday and was, I mean, last week was empowered to love everyone, enemies included. And really, Adrian just focused on loving our enemies because if we can love our enemies, we can love anyone. And in this time of pandemic and political division, and, you know, a lot of civil unrest regarding injustice in our nation and in our world. Pretty much any, everyone can think of someone that they either view or are tempted to view as an enemy. In some cases, people, real legitimate enemies, people that uh, put one or certain people groups in danger, organizations and systems that put specific people in danger. And the idea that when we interact with the story of Jesus and get filled with the spirit of Jesus, we can love our enemies and our neighbors. And inextricably linked to that is acceptance and intimacy. The idea that we're accepted and preemptively loved by Jesus. We're going to focus on this today. And our fourth theme is empathy and action. As far as part of our mission statement is engaging suffering and injustice in the world. But this Lent, we're going to talk about preparing our hearts to have empathy for people who are downtrodden, for people groups whose backs are against the wall by the systems and the evil structures of our world, this present evil age, as the scriptures call it. So kind of, we're circling around these four themes in Lent, but we're also going to continue visiting these themes throughout the summer, spring and summer as well. Because I believe God's revitalization journey for Central Vineyard and those around us is to just activate our souls uh, to be fully alive in Christ. So I'm really excited about that. But this week we're talking about acceptance and intimacy. And specifically, I want to talk about God's love for us. God the Father's love for us. The Holy Spirit's love for us. The work of Jesus, the Son of God, in loving us. This Trinitarian agenda of love that we're invited to experience. And uh, to resource you, uh, my friend Larry Warner, friend of Central Vineyard, you may have, uh, he's written several books you can check on Amazon. They've helped us, especially his book on discernment, Journey with Jesus, uh, different poetry he's written have helped him connect with Jesus through very difficult times. I encourage you to check out Larry Warner's stuff. Uh, you can find him on YouTube too. But he, uh, several years ago, gave me a retreat about freedom, adoption, and love from Romans chapter 8. And I don't have my original copy of it, but I've never been able to go through the entire retreat in one or two days. But I have taken this, how many pages is this retreat? If you've downloaded it, um, let's see, it's uh, 21 pages. I've had this dog-eared, marked-up paper copy of it where I just kind of follow and see where the Holy Spirit takes me in this retreat. And it specifically goes through Romans chapter 8, which is 39 verses. But uh, you know, there's one a preacher mentions in this. Uh, Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 69 consecutive sermons 
on the love of Christ from Romans chapter 8. This is one of those uh, artesian well passages. It's like a sponge that no matter how much you squeeze it, fresh living water comes out. So I want to encourage you guys to download this PDF uh, that we'll have in the link. We'll have it on our website, our Facebook page. Print it out. Get a hard copy of it and just keep it in your glove compartment. Keep it in your bathroom, wherever. Take some days off and live with this material. Um, but I wanted, uh, really felt like this was where to camp out today and what to talk about. And specifically today, I want to talk about the love of God the Father loving his children uh, and reflect on uh, chapter 8. And uh, where I've been dealing with this and thinking about this is I've been reflecting both on the life of my father and the life of my grandfather and my grandfather talking to me about his experience of my great-grandfather and also my relationship with my son, Ian, and my daughter, Kathleen. So I'm thinking about five generations of fathering and ways that maybe we all have fallen short and how our relationship with God can change how we relate to the people we have influence over or people whose lives we are in. And in a way, uh, uh, now my, uh, my grandfather and my father are with Jesus right now. And I've been really focusing on just so much of the good parts of our story. And I, I mentioned this at my grandfather's uh, memorial service, Grandpa Nick, that the, the reason we focus on the good things at a funeral is because in Christ, all the bad stuff's been burned away. The bad stuff's gone through the shredder. The bad stuff's been deleted. It's been erased. And the good stuff is highlighted and bolstered. So uh, it, I, as a cynical young man, I used to really focus on or get hung up on how we whitewash people's lives at their funerals. But now I think of it totally differently. I think, well, in Christ, the bad stuff is didn't stand the fire stand up to the fire of God's love only the good stuff so in a way when we when we focus on the good a lot of times we're just seeing people the way God sees them and then in Christ God doesn't see the flaws he sees the gold so Romans 8 is uh, bookended by uh, Romans 8 1 and 8 38 and Romans 8 1 begins therefore in Christ there is no condemnation there is no condemnation for those in Christ. And at the end, it says absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. We have the inseparable love of God. And nestled in there, there's this idea that when we cannot express our deep longings and pain and need to God, that the Holy Spirit actually prays for us, that God is interceding for us when we lack the words of grief. And uh, out of all the concepts in that, in this retreat, if you go through this retreat or go through this devotional um, I'm linking to, we're given all these concepts and we're asked to notice the three concepts that kind of jump out to us. So I'm kind of glancing over the three that really jump out to me in this season of life. But let me uh, go back uh, for a moment, just kind of reflecting on uh, my experience of my dad's life and my experience, my dad's experience of his relationship with his grandpa and his great-grandparents or his, gra his grandparents. 
And uh, during the last two months of my dad's life, we reflected a lot. He, you know, a lot of times those close to death kind of, kind of can become more vulnerable than they were before. And I've especially noticed this with my grandpa, Nick. In the last couple of years, he shared things with me that he never shared the rest of his life. You know, during his 100 and 100 first year, he really uh, shared some pretty kind of intimate struggles of just uh, his own struggles of receiving God's love. And my father shared about his struggles of kind of relating to God's love. And I've tried to be transparent with my son Ian about my struggles of living in the reality that I'm dearly loved. And uh, something Adrian might have mentioned last week, one way to look at the quality of our faith is the art, or if we were to describe our experience of God's love is directly revealed in our ability to love our enemies. And if you find, if we find a difficulty in loving those that hurt us, that points to an area of healing in our life where we have yet to have a deeper experience of God's love. And there's always, no matter how much of God's love uh, we've experienced, there's always more. Hence, on this side of the story, till we die, there's always more goodness and healing to experience. So there's no, if you find like these triggers in our soul that show that there's work to be done when you're triggered by trauma or you find yourself hating, there's also um, these elements where we feel shame. When we feel shame, those are uh, indicators of areas that God wants to occupy in our life. So, um, when I was thinking about uh, my dad's journey, there were certain things that happened in his childhood that he was talking about with still kind of the cracking pain in his own voice two and a half weeks before he died. He's in his 70s. Two and a half weeks before he died, there were things from high school and from growing up and, you know, the fact that maybe one grandparent of his liked him and the other didn't like him, that there was some favoritism that occurred. He still felt the wounds of that into his 70s. And one thing I experienced from my dad is as he uh, really came to know Jesus in his life, you know, in his uh, late 20s, early 30s, I think it was yeah, late 20s, my dad came to know Jesus, he really uh, uh, had this striving to not favor either I or my sister. And even with our grandkids, his last, my dad's, like some of his last words were explaining to each of his grandkids over uh, FaceTime that I love you each unconditionally and fully for who you are, not who you think you should be, but who you are. And he even, he said the same that, I love my great grandkids who haven't been born yet. Show them this recording. I, you're not born yet, but I already love you. I already been praying for you. I'm going to be with God. But my dad kind of responded to this experience of favoritism from his grandparents by really, by the power of the compassion that God built him, not showing favoritism to us. And what that showed to me that there's this multi-generational journey that God invites us that in Christ, in, in the natural order of things, the sins of the parents are visited upon the children. But when Christ enters, 
we get to stand on the shoulders of our parents' accomplishments and experience just a little bit more in Jesus. And there can be an additional amount of God's grace every generation, not because I'm better than my father or my father was better than his father, but because we can forgive our parents for their shortcomings and receive what was good as the old has been, the bad has been consumed by the love of Christ. And for many people today, uh, you might be part of the first generation that's trying to interact with Jesus. And you feel like you're starting from zero point, and that's just fine. The idea isn't that we reach any given point in our relationship with Christ. The idea is that we receive a little more than our, our, our forebears had, and we raise kids that can experience even a little more. And uh, I've uh, been specifically blessed to see my kids having a level of grace and love towards others in their early 20s that I did not have for people in my early 20s. In my early 20s, I was striving to love people with the love of Jesus, but there were certain aspects I didn't give. There were certain elements of legalism and judgmentalism that were resident in the life of Jeff and Adrian in our early 20s that Ian and Kathleen don't struggle with. And I said, you know, you've been able to receive that. You know, I've tried to be transparent about my failures with my kids. And the reason why I've been able to be transparent is because of Romans 8. And Romans 8 is there is no condemnation. Because there's no condemnation, I don't need to fake it. Because there's no condemnation, I can talk about my flaws and failures with my kids. Uh, because there's no condemnation, I don't need to act like I'm the smartest guy in the room. Because there's no condemnation, I don't need to hide my failures. Because there's no condemnation, I presume that I'm missing part of the plot right now, that I'm missing part of the story right now. And I anticipate that God in his kindness and his love will reveal to me my character falls and shortcomings at the specific time I'm ready to hear them. Listen, you can never please people. But God has such a low bar of pleasure in his children. If you look at when Jesus gets excited, you ju if someone would just get one bit of the story, and Jesus would just lose it doing the happy dance. Actually, I found this, uh, I was going through my grandpa's stuff. I found some kind of cheesy stuff, but I love it. I found this in one of his drawers. It said this. I think it's Buckminster Fuller. It said, happy is he that is happy in his children. And I have mixed feelings for this because I definitely, I am happy in a great source of happiness because I'm so happy about my kids, Ian and Kathleen. I'm so happy. But it's honestly, there's times where we are unable to be happy with our kids. They could, you know, if you find out at a parent-teacher-student conference that your kid is bullying someone else, you're probably grieving and not going to be happy and realize, man, I got to interact with my kid on this. My kid's been unkind to someone. But God is able to actually experience this happiness. As it says in scripture, God delights in his children and God is aware of all of our character flaws. And he delights in his children. 
And it's that living in the reality where we can imagine this, this is actually true gives us ability to love people who we think don't deserve it. And there's some, you know, I forgot to turn this off. Okay. So this idea, this ceasing uh, from striving that we're invited to by understanding we're not under any condemnation by the, the person that knows where all the bodies are buried in our souls. You know, where, where are all the skeletons in our closet? We have such a level of acceptance that we don't have to fear anything about us being discovered. In God, there's nothing to discover. In fact, I believe God's Holy Spirit actually obfuscates, covers up some of the dark elements of us. And he only reveals one thing at a time to us. I think if, if we were able to see all of our shortcomings at once, it would probably break our hearts. And frankly, just seeing a, a couple of our shortcomings simultaneously, it's heartbreaking. I've had times where I just feel like such a loser in so many areas. I mean, I've got to live in Romans chapter 8. There, most of the heavy lifting of my life is imagining, slowing down, imagining Romans 8, imagining the love of Jesus. Why I have to saturate myself in the Jesus stories? Because it's so, my default is to imagine that I'm unlovable. But in interacting with the story of Jesus and meditating on the truth of Romans 8, I'm able to maintain this extra-dimensional reality of God's love because there is so much present suffering in our present evil age that uh, we impact. You know, we don't live in this idyllic creation. We live in a world that groans with sin and suffering and injustice. And if it weren't bad that people are hurting, our own, the, our own environment seems opposed to people. And you know, we were actually injuring the environment. We're injuring the climate. And then we, we have hurricanes and other disasters that cause people to lose life and livelihood. We have viral pandemics that just rage through the world that have caused count, countless loss of life. And when I talk about the unconditional love of God, it's juxtaposed against a world in pain. And we believe that Jesus prefigured the whole victory over evil in being killed and tortured to death by the powers of empire and religion. Three days later, Jesus came back, essentially saying, is that all you've got? Love wins. The love of Jesus wins. Now, we don't feel the full implementation of that. We still live in a world that seems like it's on a downward spiral. But as Martin Luther King said, the the universe arcs towards justice, and it arcs towards justice in Jesus. I look at uh, the ways my kids are sensitive to injustice that I am not sensitive to injustice. And I see throughout each generation more of an acuity and an awareness of how much people are hurting in I see with each generation a growth of empathy for people are hurting as within even the four generations. I used to go to Bob Evans with Grandpa Nick, my dad, me, and Ian, and I saw all of us had were different places in the journey of God's love. And uh, I 
I felt like I had this revelation of God's love. My dad was having all these respiratory episodes as he was dying. And I would sleep in bed literally next to him and wake up like almost every two hours. He would have this respiratory attack and I would hold him. I, if I would lift him up and hold him in a certain position where he was able to maximize the lungs, the, the oxygen he could get to his remain functioning love. And I would just rub the back of his head, rub his hair and just say, you are so precious. And I, it was like weird, like my dad used to hold me as a baby. And then I'm holding him like he's a baby because he was so vulnerable. And I felt like God gave me a revelation of just how precious this life is. My dad, who struggled with so much insecurity, he was so neurotic. He, uh, he was still to the final day saying, I wish I did things better. I said, Dad, you did everything perfect in Christ. You gave me Jesus. You found Jesus and gave him to me and you gave him to your dad. And I gave him to my kids. And all the good stuff is magnified and the bad has been burned away. And uh, one thing I've been finding is going through papers of my mom and dad. Um, I have found, I have all these letters my dad wrote me and all these letters my mom wrote me in college. This is before email. Um, my daughter says she's kept a file folder for all her grandpa letters because my dad always write her letters when she was away college. And she just reads through them because he would speak like God's love to her. But when I read those letters, I've seen my dad give away things that maybe he didn't perfectly experience from his parents, but he experienced in Jesus and gave forward to us. And the idea is that the pain, what we don't receive from our forebears, we can receive from God and we can give to others. So as I look at like the ways maybe my parents missed the boat when I was a young kid, I didn't have to miss the boat. No one, it, there is no, there is multi-generational blessing, but there is kingdom of God privilege that no one is excluded from. There's kingdom of God advantage that you can get in one generation. You don't have to be at any specific level. You don't have, there's no award for Christian of the year. There's just ceasing from striving, living in love, soaking so much of it that you leave a little love mess wherever you go because you're saturated with the story of Jesus. So, um, and basically just gone over one verse, therefore there's no condemnation for those in Christ. If I can sell you on beginning this retreat, the thing is, if you find yourself struggling with anger, and if you've been staying at home with your kids, trying to become an instant teacher while you're getting your own work done, you've probably seen the rear end of your soul more than you would like. But let me tell you, every time you fail, that's just a signpost, not that you suck. When you fail, that's a signpost of a, to an area that God wants to come in and love. God wants to love you in Christ he will fortify you in your weakness. When you have a fail, that's just a God loves you trigger. And eventually we can neurologically program our brains to that when we fail, we hear God saying, I love you, it's gonna be okay. I love you, it's going to be okay. The ability to love our enemies, the ability for us to love across any political divide, the ability, instead of fearing people in power, instead of 
embracing conspiracy, there is an upside down subversive conspiracy of joy that we can look to. I'm not into fearful conspiracies because according to the story I've read that in Christ, the worst they can do is kill me and the death won't stick. So if death has no dominion, if death is off to the sin, I can love anyone and I don't have to worry about figuring out what's going behind the scenes. Uh, and that's why the early Christians were able to love their enemies. That's why the early church, pre, pre-Constantine, the early church was 100% agreed on one thing, and that was pacifism and nonviolence, believe it or not. And it's not because they lived in this idyllic, peaceful world. They were being thrown into the arena to the alliance. They were being, uh, Nero would pour tar on Christians and light them up and burn them to death so they could have night gladiatorial matches in the Colosseum. These guys were suffering. And they weren't worried about the machinations of Rome. They were committed to being a part of a conspiracy of kindness. And uh, I'm going to really be talking about this Easter Sunday, so I don't want to spoil the message. But the idea is there's a tiny little mustard seed of love that's planted, the mustard seed of God's kingdom. And before you know it, that mustard seed has a root thing. It's become a tree. And all the birds of the world are roosting its branches. And if we can begin to imagine through the no condemnation story, we can be a part of that conspiracy of kindness. There is a lot riding on us living into at an intellectual and emotional and heart level. So much depends on us ceasing from striving in living in that love. There, listen, you may be the most surly, depressed person here, but I wanna tell you something. If you can live into God's love, if God, you allow God in to overtake your imagination, if you can slow down a bit and smell God's love, there will be lives that will be saved because you're living in God's love. Because when people see you experiencing unconditional love, they're going to think there's hope for me too. And if you're especially surly, grumpy person, this is great news because if you're a surly, grumpy person and you have like a really wretched online presence, any level you experience self-acceptance and self-love because you know God's love is really easy to notice. So this is good news. I want to read a couple things from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 8. I want to read uh, three of the passages. Actually, just two. I've already done the no condemnation passage. So um, I want to read some of the passages that stuck out to me. Okay. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting get tired in the waiting. Do you feel it? I feel it. God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us. Out of our wordless sighs, God makes prayer. Our aching groans, he knows us far better than we know ourselves. He knows 
our pregnant condition of pain that's birthed and redemption waiting to be born. He keeps us present before God. And that's why we, we can be so sure that every detail of our lives God's love works out for something good. Uh, some of you are, are uh, joining us today. Uh, I've uh, interacted with some of my loved ones this week who are experiencing pain and trauma that I have no way to measure. Um, Adrian and Kathleen literally spent an entire day, both of them just weeping the entire day because of a couple we know that is suffering something immeasurable. And their cries were literally, they couldn't pray. They couldn't pray. They could just weep. But in that weeping, the unconditional, ever-present love for God was partnering with the weeping to pray for this precious family. And that idea that I don't need, I can just suck it praying. And it's so cool to God. If all I can do is grunt, God's there. Oh, winning. This is amazing. Because lately, my prayers, I'm not a very good long prayer person unless I'm reading an awesome prayer someone else wrote. But in my sighing, God is present. And uh, Romans 8. Paul's talking about people killing and torturing and persecuting him and his loved ones. And he says this, none of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. There's no space between you and God's love. Nothing can squeeze in there. Nothing can squeeze in there. You can do nothing to make God love you any more than he already does, because he loves you fully. God cannot, you cannot get an upgrade of God's love you can, all we can do is slow down more and more. Take some time to revel in our failures and shortcomings. When you screw something up, I'm most, maybe I'm mostly talking to me. Just say, wow, I'm just going to take a breather and imagine how much God loves me. Build a picture of Jesus in your head, you know. Watch The Chosen. I don't know. I'm telling you to watch a show on an app on your iPad or something. Just do it. Figure out how to stream on your television. I don't know. Get the DVDs if you're old school. You can go to your website. I think they sell them. But until you can get to the point where you can know that this is something that God can actually believe. Oh, I found this going through my grandpa's stuff too. <laughs> Isn't this cheesy? <laughs> you are loved. I'm like, I get actually I kept it tonight, but I said, Ian, I'm giving you this plate. My son's getting his own place to live. I said, well, you're going to have that plate. Just eat this and be reminded. Mom and dad and Kathleen love you always, but most of all, Jesus loves you. And he goes, and Ian is such a sentimental guy. He, goes, he doesn't go, no, this is kind of a cheesy plate. He goes, dad, thank you so much. 
I'm going to eat on this every day. <laughs> he just, he, he has, Ian has zero cynicism. I love it. He's so amazing. So guys, even right now, I'm teaching on no condemnation, but I'm thinking I have been unable to scratch the surface of God's love. <laughs> and I haven't. But I want to pray that this has piqued your curiosity, that you'll download this retreat, live in Romans 8. Maybe you uh, can spend, in a, if you spent the rest of your life just in this chapter, it wouldn't be too much. So, Father God, I love Central Vineyard so much. Just bless, bless us, bless all of us who are gathered near and far. 